bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Shiloh family. So glad you joined us tonight for another Bible study. Come on, let's pray. <clears throat> God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be with you and to hear your word. Speak to us, through us, anoint us for the lesson and grant unto us that we'll hear your word, but not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, tonight I'm excited about the lesson we're going to be dealing with. Uh, we've been on a series called Answers for the Struggle, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Problems. This is number 21 of that series. And tonight, <clears throat> from Proverbs 21, Proverbs 21, I want to lift up 11 lessons from Proverbs 21. 11 lessons from Proverbs 21. Yes, our band is anointed and they just blessed us one more time. Thank them again for the blessing they give to the body of Christ. Proverbs 21, we're going to go through the chapter and look at some key issues that we want to bring up. But the first one that I want to lift up for you is, number one, I want to call this omnipotence over the soul. Omnipotence over the soul. Now this is an interesting point he makes. He says the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he wishes. The Message Bible puts that verse like this. Good leadership is a channel of water controlled by God. He directs it to whatever end he chooses. The, the, the point is that <clears throat> there is still leaders make bad decisions and leaders can do wrong and you and I do wrong things but many times when God's providence is at stake God will take over and will move people into providence uh, in the case of the Egyptians the Bible says the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh thus pushing him into providence because God wanted to rescue the children of Israel out of Egypt and they would not have been moving if they had not had the taskmaster of the Pharaoh. Sometimes God shows us that while most times we are liberated with free choice, there are times when prayer changes things or when God divines something needs to be altered and God says no matter what goes on in the earth realm there is omnipotence over the soul watch this if God is ultimate government then rulers leaders are sub-government under God and if God's governing has to counter what the earth is doing, God will do what is necessary to push earth 
into divine alignment, particularly when God is answering petitions of believers. So what you need to recognize is that God, we are taught to pray for them that have rule over us. Watch the word, for they keep watch over your soul so that if, there, if divine providence is over the soul, the omnipotent power of God must direct even leaders away from certain decisions that will affect souls that have been reaching out to God. Praying for them to the omnipotent power of God and God knows how to hold that individual in God's hand. In God's hand. To move it, to move it, to do what he ought to do. God, God knows how to control it. I tell people all the time, um, men claim to be the head. I'm the head. And, and, and yes, maybe you, you think you are. But, but I, I heard one woman say, and I won't call her name, but, but she said, you, you may be the head, but I'm the neck that moves the head. And in truth, God, you, you can hold whatever title you want. The omnipotent power of God is yet in control, no matter what anyone else may think, no matter what anyone else may believe. The, the, the second point of this uh, teaching tonight comes in verse two. And it is the omnipresence overwatching sincerity. The omnipresence overwatching sincerity. Now, here's what the text says. Verse two, every person, and I know the word says man, way in his, in, is right in their own eyes. But the Lord weighs and examines the heart of people and their motives. Let me do it again. Every person thinks that what they're doing is right, but the Lord is weighing and examining what their motivation is. God's omnipresence looks in upon us and is always there examining our motives for our actions. So we, the message Bible said, justify our actions by appearances, but God examines our motives. The reality is, your motives matter. Your motives matter. Now, you can do the right thing with the wrong motive and lose the blessing. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive and lose the blessing. You need to understand how to continuously do right things with the right spirit. Now sometimes people will do stuff because they're angry and sometimes people do stuff because someone made them mad or they'll do it because someone pushed them or they'll do it because they want people to think highly of them. Those motives end up discounting good work. 
I shouldn't have to, the Lord blesses you. I shouldn't have to come and beg you to give to God. Your mind ought to be already, you know, God gave it. I'm, I'm not only the recipient, I'm a channel. And I don't want to become a dead sea. No one should have to push you and prod you and, and talk you out of what God, no. Your mind ought to be free. Your motive has to be there in anything you do. I don't want my wife to come over and kiss me because she think I'm going to be angry if she don't. I'm gonna, well, let me go kiss this joker here because you know he get mad if I don't kiss him. No, I want her to kiss me because she loves me. She feels affection towards me. She wants to be intimate with me. She wants to be close to me. I don't want anything else. Hey, wait a minute. I don't want you to come over and kiss me because you think somebody else looking at me. I want you to come over and kiss me because you want, your motive matters. Now, I know some people will tell you, I don't care why you did it, I'm just glad you did. Well, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. Sometimes we're just glad someone did, did the right thing, even if they had the wrong intention. But God cares. God is checking what's prodding you, what's prompting you. And if what's prompting you is to be seen, what's prompting you is to make a statement, What's prompting you is to, to have people, no, wrong motivation. Back up, back up. You wanna be prompted by good motives, good motives. I wanna bless you because I wanna bless you. Don't need nothing else, just because. This is the way of peace. You end up learning how to enjoy your relationship with God and enjoy your relationship with God's creation. Because your motivation is to bring good into the world. Nor the reason, nor the agenda. See, when you get to the place where you will live good, practice good, act in the service of good in all that you do, for the pureness of goodness, then you have getting to the place where you're acting like God and you have become the Imago Dei, the true image of God. The more good becomes you, the more God-like you become. Let me do it again. The more good becomes you, the more God-like you become. God blesses us because he loves us. God keeps us because he loves us. Not to get praise, not to get adoration, not to get glory. Those he, those scripture teach, is due. I owe, I owe, I owe, so off to praise I go. Those he's due. No, we bless God and we bless others because we are, want to be more like God. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. I'm not going to bless you, make you a multimillionaire so you can be a multimillionaire. 
I'm not going to bless you, make you a multimillionaire so you could have more cows and hogs, whatever, than anyone else. No, I'm blessing you because I know I can bless others through you. And what you always want to ask yourself is how can I recognize that God is always watching for my sincerity? For my sincerity. So God is overwatching my sincerity at all times. And I want to live a sincere life. Number three. Number three. It is obedience over sacrifice. Obedience over sacrifice. Now this is an important one. Here's what verse three says. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice for wrongs repeatedly committed. Now, get this in your spirit. God wants you to live in a manner in which you are always trying to do what is right. You're always trying to live what is right. If we sin, we have an advocate who was who a chief mediator who is willing and already has paid the penalty for our sins. But we ought not to keep sinning so that we can keep on doing what we want to do and then coming back with prayers and sacrifices saying, let me sin some more. Saying, let me do my own thing. No. Here, here's our message by puts verse 3. Clean living before God and justice with our neighbors mean far more to God than religious performance. Clean living. Look, just because he can, just because we know we should, we, we can, can do certain things, we need to recognize that God wants us to live right continuously. You know, the, uh, the scripture in Romans says, uh, says something like this, shall we continue in sin that grace shall abound? God forbid. No. You have to understand that you live a life that God is pleased with so that God knows who you are and what you stand for on a regular basis. You want to live pleasing to God all the time. You know, you don't, you, you don't want to just simply come running in, Lord, I'm going to give an extra offering this week because I know I've been extra bad. I'm going to sacrifice this week. I'm a, you, know, you know how we do. I'm going to eat a ton of food today and I'm going to sacrifice tomorrow and, 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 and fast. No. He says, I would prefer you to live clean daily then they have to worry about those sacrifices later. Is that number four? Number four. Now, number four is simply this. Let me read this. It is omniscience over sin. 
It goes back to the other one of God's overwatching. This is God's knowing. God knows. God sees. God sees. Beginning of verse 4. Haughty and arrogant eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, their self-centered pride, is sin in the eyes of God. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance and advantage, but everyone who acts in haste comes surely to poverty. Acquiring treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor seeking the and seek the seeking the pursuit of death. The violence of the wicked will return to them and drag them away like fish caught in a net because they refuse to act with justice. The way of the guilty is exceedingly crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. Let me say this to you. God sees what we do. And let me give this to you my nicest way. Retribution follows sin. Retribution follows sin. So someone will say to me, Reverend, I, I committed this sin. Okay, ask God for forgiveness. It's over. That part is settled. The sin is forgiven. What is not settled is the repercussion. The sin is settled. The repercussion is not. Mess with your head a minute. I said the sin is settled. Jesus forgives sin. You ask for forgiveness, you ask it from your heart, you're forgiven. The sin is immediately settled because it was settled 2,000 years ago at Calvary. What's not settled is the repercussion. What's not settled is the retribution. If you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. So we still reap what we sow even if the sin is settled. I'll give you an example. You're unmarried, you have premarital sex, you do the doody doops, you got by the first 10 times, Number 11, you slipped up, no contraception, you, you, you crying, you said, God forgive me, I whatever. But what took place created life. There's no, there's no, <clears throat> what you have to realize is, God doesn't hold, and people ask me, when I first came pastor years ago, I was hearing about pastors who would only bless children from marriages. Uh, you, you, well, we bless babies that are not from marriages in the office. Why? Why? The baby ain't did nothing wrong. And David, the, 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 the psalmist said, behold, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Hey, look, let me just put it to you like this. Hey, did nothing wrong. You, there's still something you got to deal with. What I'm got, the point I'm trying to drive at is simply this. Don't ever think 
that forgiven means you do not have to deal with consequences. That's all it is. What we want to rewards and retributions. And all of us have done it. All of us have done it. I'm, I'm, you know, I sit here now as a sinner confessing. I didn't get this big from what I ate yesterday because I didn't hardly eat yesterday or last week. I didn't eat that much the week before. The week before that I didn't. But I've had years. I've done things. So what are you saying, Reverend? Means that I now deal with what I've done. The body I have, the shape I'm in, it, it didn't happen because I didn't love God and I wasn't saved and I didn't ask. No. Rewards, retribution. You deal with it. The fact that my knees hurt now partially can be put back to my high school days and getting injured. Sure. That's what started the arthritis in my knees. But the bone on bone, a lot of that has to do with carrying me. So what are you saying, Reverend? Stop thinking that sin is the only thing. It's just a part of it. Forgiveness happens, but it doesn't, it is a beginning and not an ending. God sees sin and all sin, all sin has a repercussion. Some of it is minor, some of it is major. You know, a first offense sin gets a penalty one way. A second offense gets a penalty another way. By third or fourth time you commit that sin, the penalties go up. And that's in the, in the legal system within the United States. What do you think happens in heaven? I'm going to give you a pass on that one, son. I'm going to give you a pass on that one, daughter. I'm going to give you a pass on that one. Bless you, deaconess. I'm going to give you a pass on that one. After a while, God said, okay, how many passes do you think you're going to get? All right. Come on back. Number five. Oneness over stress. Oneness over stress. <laughs> it is better to live in a corner of a housetop on a flat roof, exposed to the weather, than, a, than in a house shared with a quarrelsome, contentious mate. The soul of the wicked desires evil like an addictive substance. His neighbor finds no compassion in his eyes. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Whenever there is not oneness, there's going to be stress. You need to be with someone, those of you that are single, listen to me now. You need to find someone that you can be one with. Because if you're not one, there's going to be stress. And I'm not just talking about sexual compatibility. I'm talking about oneness in mind and in spirit. You don't have to have the same academic level, but you have to have a oneness in spirit where you understand each other. You communicate. 
There are only three issues in any marriage, and they're communication, sex, and money. If you don't work those three out, the rest are all going to be messed up anyway. You've got to realize there's got to be a oneness. Those of you that are single need to realize that you have a oneness because one is a whole number. And sometimes you, you might want to remain single unless you can find somebody to be one with because you will enter into stress that you don't have right now. Oneness over stress. You need to make sure you get to the place where whomever you decide to be in relationship with, that you can get to a point of oneness and unity. It is in that that you will find peace. Without it, there is no peace. And yes, the proverb is right. It's better to sleep in, on, on top of the roof, exposed to the weather, than to be in a house with somebody that's messing with your head. Because I'm going to tell you something. And this scripture says, contentious woman, it's written in the patriarchal form. But I say, mate, because I think that you could be in the house with a contentious man. Uh, sister, it'd be better to be on top of the roof, sleeping in the rain, than to be in the house with a man that don't know how to control himself. I know I'm preaching. Listen, oneness over stress. You've got to realize keeping to yourself is better than dealing with somebody else's stress. In relationships, always find compatibility. And in any, if you're married now and you don't have oneness, you need to be in counseling and seeking ways to improve your relationship so you can have it. Because it's just a matter of time before you don't want to move to the rooftop. If I, come, if I come to your house and I see a sleeping bag on the roof, I know what happened. Number six. Number six. Let me read this scripture first. When the scoffer is punished, the naive observe the lesson and become wise. But when the wise and teachable person is instructed, he receives knowledge. The righteous one keeps an eye on the house of the wicked how the wicked are cast down to ruin. Whoever shuts his ears at the, at the cry of the poor will cry out himself and not be answered. I want to use this. Number six, it's observation over stupidity. Observation over stupidity. observation over stupidity. Look, it is better, bless you, man, it is better to learn from the mistakes of others, to learn from the penalties of others, what happened in their lives, than to have to take the lesson yourself. Why in the world are you going to have to get that, that lesson if you can learn it from somebody else? You learned that didn't work, why do it yourself? If you learned that person did that and fell into a dark hole, why go to the hole yourself? So it's observation over stupidity. So he says, look, if, if you're wise enough, even if you're, you're not really learned, naive, 
He says, if you observe the lesson and become wise, guess what? You can watch what happens to a scoffer, somebody wicked, mean, stupid, aggravating. You can watch how their life goes wrong and say to yourself, I ain't going that way. You can watch a person. I know some of you have done it in your lives. Some of you are the exact opposites of people, and actually you can point to those individuals and say, I realize that's why I'm this way. Because the person you saw was always yelling. And you say to yourself, whatever I do, I'm not going to be a yeller. I'm not going to be yelling. I can't stand being yelled at. I don't want to hear it. You're the exact opposite of them, and you can actually point to them and say, you know what? I learned from that individual of what I don't want to be. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be self-righteous. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to talk to people without the side of my mouth. I don't want to be rough and gruff. Every time that person talks, they're Arr! Even when they were saying good morning, you felt like they were about to bite your head off. And you say, I'm learning from you. It's observation over stupidity. Learn. He even told us we can learn from the ant. He said, learn. Observe. Learn. Observe. Learn. Come into wisdom. Hello? You, you can see some people are not getting these kind of teachings because they observed the 45th president and now they're talking just as reckless as he did. So in their case, it's observation that led to stupidity. But it shows they were not wise. It shows they were not wise. You need to recognize that there's a way to see that which is negative, bad, wrong, against God, and correct it in your own behavior without becoming like it. Number seven, verses 14 and 15, it reads this way, a gift in secret subdues anger and a bribe hidden in the pocket, strong wrath. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, the upright, the one in right standing with God. But to the evildoer, it is a disaster. Number seven, it's offering over struggling. Offering over struggling. Offering over struggling. The rich have used this for years. The teaching here is the teaching that, that speaks to out of court settlements. That's really what it's about. It's something is wrong, somebody has been wronged, and instead of going on like something didn't happen, a gift was given quietly and calmed the other individual down. It was given in secret that subdued the anger. Look, look listen what that, that this verse says in the message by verse 14. A quietly given gift soothes an irritable person. A heartfelt present cools a hot temper. I got several examples I could give. I could go back to Tiger Woods. 
I don't want to mess with poor Tiger, the situation with all those people that came up and how much it cost him. I could go easily to Deshaun Watson, former member of team in Tennessee, I believe. Uh, he, he, uh, he has been accused of assault by, I believe, 24 women. The courts have refused to, to take the case. The courts looked at their available evidence and said this is not a legal matter. But 24 women said you did something to them. Albeit these are all women who have accused you of doing something to them that was unwanted. Now he can keep going on proclaiming his innocence. He thinks what he did was not wrong. Or he can say to those women, I have wronged you, not because I think I've wronged you, but I've wronged you and I am wrong because you felt wronged. End of story. I don't have to, I, I need to ask your forgiveness because you were violated because you felt violated. End of story. Don't need to say anything else. You were violated. How can I make this right? There's no prosecution now that's going to give him a jail sentence. There's no punitive punishment for prison for him in this case. The best thing he can do is to say, how can I make this right? I know it will never be right, but is there something I can give you quietly to, to show you I am sorry? 21 of the 24 women, I don't know what the amount was or what happened, accepted a gift. Don't you dare talk about any of those women as having lied or they were just in it for the money. That ain't, that ain't even in the conversation. If she felt wrong, she was wronged. And don't you talk about her for receiving it. The only compensation she could get for the assault or the injury since there was no more legal avenues was civil court. The only ending to civil court is money. So if she can receive it now and enhance her life and feel better, then she should receive it. She should get it. And those three that want to continue the case, they should do that if that's what they want to do. On his part, he's following an old ritual. You've done something wrong, do something right. Now, this principle doesn't just work with celebrity football players. He's going to pay a penalty within the NFL. He's going to be suspended for games and lose money and all that. That this, this principle doesn't just work there. This principle works in our regular lives. Because if I have wronged you, then I ought to find a way, if it's within my power, to do something for you to say, I'm sorry. If there's a way 
quietly, I can bless you. If there's a way I can say I'm sorry and show you I'm sorry, I need to do that. And this boy, the young man, I'm not trying to be mean to him or anybody else. I'm being honest. Bruh, gotta go get help. Because even if he, and particularly if he doesn't think he did anything wrong, 24 people don't accuse you if something ain't out of order. You need to get help that that never happens in your life again. You need to go, you need to check yourself in and say, I'm not reading life correctly. There's something wrong here. And I want to get my life together. I would, I would start with, if he's not saved, giving his life to the Lord. But that's another question. The point I'm driving at now is learning the fact Okay, you and your sister not talking, you and your brother not talking, sometimes just, here, here's a gift, you know, happy birthday, hello, here's a gift, here's, I want to bless you, can I take you to dinner? Why? Because what you're trying to do is to restore. You may not be able to restore completely, but you want to work on restoration, if it be possible. I hope I sold that correctly. I'm, I'm trying to help somebody. Number eight. Number eight runs from verse 16 down to verse 19. And those of you who don't know, I'm generally reading the Amplified Version. A man who wanders from the way of understanding godly wisdom will remain in the assembly of the dead. If you, if you go away from, what, from godly wisdom, you might as well be dead. You're, just, you're out, out of the bounds. He who loves only selfish pleasure, whoo, will become a poor man. He who loves and is devoted to wine, olive oil, will not become rich. If all you want to do is drink and be merry, you, uh, you're going to become rich. The wicked become a ransom for the righteous and the treacherous in the place of the upright, for they fall into their own trap. It is better to dwell in the desert land than with a contentious one. Again, back to the same trope. Listen, number eight is this observance over sensationalism observance over sensationalism I, I use that because what I'm suggesting to you is this verse 17 says this you're addicted to thrills that's the message Bible says what an empty life the pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Look, when you get addicted to doing stuff, having a good time, trying to always be the life of the party, that is simply this. You are caught up in sensationalism, in filling the senses. It is better to live a life of observance of faith, hope, and love than to live a life with nothing but folly and pleasure at the center of your being. Thrill-seeking. Life is more than thrill-seeking. You'd be better to be stable. Observance over sensationalism. Don't always try to be out there. Don't always try to be the big I am, trying to do things that nobody else could do. No! 
you need to learn how to enjoy life in its peaceful state with a calm mind. Number nine, I'm gonna get these done. I know I'm running out of time, but I gotta get this in. Number nine, it begins at verse 20, it runs through verse 23. There's precious treasure and oil in the house of the wise who prepare for the future. Again, that trope with the wife going back and forth, what he's suggesting is if you find a faithful wife, a studious wife, a fi wife of fidelity, then there's always going to be treasure and oil. Oil is always a high-length commodity. It, it's not easily manufactured. You've got you've to stomp some olives to get some oil. So it's always precious. Wine is something that takes time to be made. So there's treasure always in the household. But the short-sighted and foolish man swallows it up and wastes it. He who earnestly speaks, seeks righteousness and loyalty, finds life, righteousness and honor. A wise man scales the city walls of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards himself from trouble. I want to use this. Outlining over short-sightedness. Outlining over short-sightedness. And the question would be, what does it mean by outlining? I mean seeing the future, outlining where you want to be, rather than being short-sighted, rather than just doing anything. You've got to recognize that sometimes if you consume everything in a moment, you're going to just simply be messed up. If you say everything on your mind, you're going to be messed up. So you've got to look at life and you've got to outline, where do I want to be? What do these words get me? If I cuss this person out here, what does that cuss out get me? I just told you all, okay, I may have permanently closed the door that God was going to use to bless my life. But when I outline my life, I'm thinking about the future and not about the moment. I'm thinking about what's tomorrow and not just about this temporary instance. That's why verse 23 becomes important because when I'm looking and outlining my life, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be short-sighted, so I'm going to guard my tongue. Some things I'm not going to say. Hey, sister, you can cut a man down in such a way that even if he stays with you, he'll never be the same man. You can take him down to his lowest denominator and you'll make him, you'll make him half of what he could have been or you can build him up. Hey, brother, you can make your wife, your, your significant other, feel like nothing by what comes out of your mouth. But when you realize that you're not going to be short-sighted, you're not going to let a temporary anger or upsetment ruin your life or ruin the life of someone else. Now is not forever. There's more beyond. And so you're going to think about what you're going to do before you do it, and you're not going to be short-sighted. You're not going to be short-sighted. I hear people say sometimes, you know, something goes wrong in the house. Oh, I'm getting rid of this house. It ain't no good. I got to leave here. 
Oh, well, baby, there's just one problem. That can be repaired. Oh, no, it's just, no, everything's on. No, that's short-sighted. That's short-sighted. There's no wisdom in that next act. I'm outlining where I want to be. And so I'm functioning in wisdom, and I'm also speaking in wisdom because I've guard my tongue. And the text says, if I guard my tongue, I will keep myself from trouble. So just by shutting up, I cut off trouble. Number 10. I told you there were 11 and I'm going to make it. Number 10. Number 10. It runs from verse 24 down through verse 28. I don't have time to read it all, but let me just read verse, verse 24. Proud, haughty scoffer are, are his names who acts with overbearing and insolent pride. The desire of the lazy kills him for his hands refuse to labor. He craves all the day long and does no work, but the righteous willingly gives and does not withhold what he has. Let me, let me go back. I'm going to get this done real quick. It's orderliness over scoffing. Orderliness over scoffing. Now this is an important one. Because see, I'm going to live my life with a certain level of orderliness so that I'm not going to function outside of humility. I'm not going to function outside of grace. I'm going to give grace and I'm going to look to receive grace. I need grace. So I need you to give me some grace and I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to live my life with some orderliness to it. So that haughty spirit, that proud stuff, that overbearing wickedness ain't going to be me. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to live a life where I'm just going to be out here doing whatever I want to do, lazy, not getting up. Not, I'm not going to make any sacrifices. Or when I do, I'm going to offer whatever I want to offer to God and bump God, bump everybody else. Look, there's in me to be what God called me to be. And there's an orderliness to it. And when you have that orderliness, guess what? You leave out all of the hubris, that's the Greek word for pride, you leave the hubris out and you allow God's peace to come in and you function in that humility and as Howard Thurman put it, humility cannot be humiliated. Finally, number 11. It's obeisance over stubbornness. I need to know from verse 30 in that, in verse 29 through 31, I don't have time to do all of it. Verse 30 says this, there is no human wisdom or understanding or counsel that can prevail against the Lord. I need to recognize 
that all of my stubbornness, my doing my own way is my thing. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm smarter than everybody else. I gotta do it. I don't know why you think you could tell me what to do. You'll just shut up. I do what I wanna do. I'm grown. Yeah, you are. But your stubbornness keeps you from seeing that your wisdom will never be greater than God's. I don't care how much you know. I don't care what school you went to. I don't care if it was Ivy League or no league at all. I don't care if you got your degree online or you got your degree in some big name. I don't care where you got it from. You'll never be smarter than God. You can be an astrophysicist or no physicist at all. You'll never be smarter than God. So don't be stubborn. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. You can act like a wicked person, puts on a bold face. But as for the upright, he considers, directs, and establishes way with confidence and integrity. So let me tell you something. The wicked want to act bold and bad. But the righteous, they ask God, direct my steps. Order my steps, God. I don't want to do it my way. Your way is the way I want. Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. I don't know, but I know you know. I know you know what's ahead. I can't see tomorrow, but many things about tomorrow I just can't understand. But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds my hand. I refuse to be stubborn going my way. I'm going God's way. Because God's way is always the best way. And the blessed way is God's way. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. God bless you, saints. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate you being here. Hope you got something out of this word tonight. I'm having a ball up here, as you can tell. Keep on coming back to Bible study. Keep on listening. I'll be right back in the same place next week. I love each one of you with the love of the show of Lord. Amen. You're wonderful, God-fearing people. Look, if you listen to us tonight and you want to be a part of this ministry, come on, become an I member here at Shiloh. I am a Shiloh member. Come and call us, 860-443-6046, extension 110, and uh, we will be happy to receive you. Call or email us at churchadmin at shilohnlcomplex.org. I look forward to welcoming you into this family over here. Saints, I thank you so much for your gifts last week. You did wonderful. Let me just tell you, the last couple of weeks we've been doing great things. You saw what we did on Sunday for our dear sweet sister Jojo. Let me just come back and tell you, we were able to also, the week before, ask you to bless us, and we were able to send a blessing to someone who was in need, and we were able to bless them with a significant blessing to help them in, in a very difficult time. I just know, trust me when I tell you, this church has been doing some great work in the middle of the pandemic. 
So keep, you keep on doing what God told you to do. Give tonight whatever God lays in your heart. We replenish the benevolent fund. Keep on keeping on giving to God's people. Shiloh NL, you can give it to us. Dollar sign Shiloh NL. You can uh, give it a five or you can send it in the old-fashioned way by a mail. You send in your gifts, your love offerings, and it will go to benevolence and we give it away. Amen? We give it away. I want you to know we try to bless and do the right thing. Again, I thank you for blessing my wife for her birthday, and she just was so grateful and spoke so eloquently on Sunday, and I just appreciate her. And again, happy birthday to her and all of the August babies today. Amen. Let me just, I want to turn for a moment and just keep in prayer our dear deacon uh, Daniels, who is recovering from hip surgery. He's doing so well. But keep him in your prayers. Keep praying for him that God gives him complete recovery. Our dear minister Michael Watts, my cousin, who is recovering from his surgery. And please pray for his companion. And keep their family in your prayers. I'm just so excited. God is blessing Mike. He's coming along well. Keep praying for him and pray for one another. Finally today, ask you to join me in prayer for Sister Arasali's and for her children. Most of you know Sister Arsales, um, her sister who is married to Brother McCoy. Uh, you, you know them very well. Sister Arsales, her husband, Kenyon, who is my fraternity brother, and I happen to be blessed to be one of the brothers. Uh, our dear brother, Brother Kenyon Hayes went home to be with the Lord yesterday. So I ask you all to keep Minister, well, Reverend Arcelis in your prayers. Arcelis is a, just a wonderful prayer warrior, loving mother of two beautiful small children. Kenyon, who was, would have been 39 tomorrow, would have been 39 tomorrow, went home to be with the Lord. So please keep them in your prayers. I, I, I believe Melissa and Calvin are on their way down there to North Carolina to be with her sister. So let's keep them in our prayers as they travel. Keep them in their prayers as they try to navigate this huge loss. Kenyon was my frat brother, blue fire to the day we die. And uh, I remember him fondly with a loving memory. And um, I will miss him. I know Leroy um, and uh, Elder Wade, who I've spoken to already, all, uh, my brother-in-law, Frat Deacon Miles, and all of the other Sigmas who are in this house here. Um, we, we are devastated by the loss of our brother. And uh, please keep them in prayer. Um, I know God knows best, but sometimes I don't always understand. And, but I trust God, and I trust God with you to help me keep praying for them. Amen. I love you all with the love of the Lord. Prayers up. We know God is able. I'll talk to you online tomorrow. I'll be on 1 o'clock tomorrow for prayer. Join me for community prayer 1 p.m. tomorrow. God bless every one of you. I love you with the love of the Lord. 
please keep praying. I'm going to pray tonight before I give my regular clothes because I just want to pray for these families. Father, I thank you tonight for those who are bereaved now, whose hearts are heavy, who have been caught with a sudden grief. I ask God that you will give them even now the blessed peace and consolation that only you can give. Allow them, Lord, to feel your loving arm of mercy, your tender care. I thank you, Lord, for every person listening to me tonight. I thank you that each of us are reminded tomorrow's not promised. Help us to live your word as best we can all the days of our life so that when you call and it's ours to answer, we can hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. We love you and we thank you for your peace. God bless you, saints. Thank you for joining us tonight. Amen to the prayer. And guess what? I love you. God loves you. And I want you to go in peace and the peace of God go with you. You know what I say. Shalom.